Insights, and welcome to the CU Insight Network podcast. My name is Lauren Culp. I'm the publisher and CEO at CUinsight.com. And it's my job and my pleasure on this show to have the conversations with all of those thought leaders who support the credit union community. We identify the issues that are affecting credit unions and talk about some of the best practices that exist so that we can all learn from one another and improve our credit unions. My guest on today's show is Dan Price, the president at 2020 Analytics. We have a really interesting show planned for you today. Dan, I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to be here and to be here again. So uh, yes. we're talking, talking with you. Well, right. You were on the show last year. We were just chatting before, before I hit the record button here. How time has flown. It feels like it was just yesterday, but... We chatted a lot last year in your episode about your background, you know, coming from a family of accountants, your career journey, and, and really the power of data for credit unions to best serve their members. And the power of data hasn't really changed, but the place that we're in economically, especially over the last six to 12 months, has changed so rapidly. So I'm really excited to have you back on it and to talk about, you know, all of the things that have changed from an economic outlook uh, in the last six to 12 months. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of uncertainty in the market, and that really hasn't been anything new, right? Uh, a lot has changed, but there's been this continuous uncertainty where last time we spoke, the main concerns, they were about potential impacts from COVID-19 and how the economy was potentially going to recover from COVID. And now here in the middle of 2022, it seems like we've made it through most of what we thought of as the direct impacts of those economic shutdowns pretty unscathed. But now we're in the situation where we're starting to feel some of those impacts indirectly, where we've had this such long period of low interest rates followed by government stimulus as it related to smoothing those potential negative impacts of COVID-19, combined and exacerbated by supply chain issues that uh, the economic shutdowns caused, along with turmoil from Russia and you know, other impacts that have caused this uh, price increase or inflation, as they say in economics. And now here in 2022, we're increasing interest rates, and that's starting to create some newfound pressure on the economy. So that's something that, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about here at 2020 Analytics. Yeah. And I know a big focus for you right now at 2020 Analytics is, is the economy, its impact on lending. And particularly, and you alluded to this already, is that impact of those rising interest rates. And so what are the things that you're seeing as maybe the, those big things for credit unions to keep an eye on here? I mean, I'm sure those rates have to be affecting things like housing affordability, loan demand, maybe even default rates. So what do you think credit unions should keep an eye out for? Yeah, so we started evaluating loans during the Great Recession, basically as the housing bubble was bursting during the Great Recession. And for the past 10 years, increases in interest rates have been one of our bigger macroeconomic concerns, wondering when interest rates start to increase because they've been so historically low for so long. Generally, when you see inflation or prices going up, interest rates increase. Low interest rates over the past 10 years, they've made making investments and buying a home much more attractive and what you know, folks generally think of as affordable. And housing affordability, a good example, is how well the typical American or typical individual living in a certain area can afford a home that exists in that area. So let's say you make 65 grand a year 
in Florida. That's about the median household income. If you allocate one third of your salary to your mortgage payment, you're deciding, hey, I can afford to spend about 1800 bucks on my mortgage. In Florida, the median home value is something like 380 grand. So if you've got a three and a half percent interest rate, you can pretty easily afford that home. The mortgage payment would be just under 1800 bucks. If interest rates jump up to, let's say, six and a half percent, which is where they are now in some areas, all else equal, that same individual making 65 grand a year or family making 65 grand a year can't even get close to affording that median home in Florida where the payment would then jump to about 2,400 bucks. Wow. Yeah. When the affordability drops, I mean, what that means is there's, you know, outside of institutions buying up homes, that demand for homes are going to go down and values are going to drop. Interest rates increasing, there's this trickle down type impact because when prices go up, obviously things are more expensive. Higher interest rates are going to curb that demand by reducing borrower and also you know, nationwide purchasing power where generally large companies will hire less and may consider layoffs. That's going to impact unemployment and make that go up. You've got variable rate borrowers who are now paying more. So there's not only with their home, but there's more stress across their debt service universe. They've got higher payments. That's going to impact your defaults. And those defaults increasing, when you go to, you know, unfortunately, you have to foreclose a home, let's say, the demand for that house is going to be lower. And as we move over time, you're not going to be recovering as much on a potential foreclosure on a defaulted mortgage. These are problems that we haven't seen in quite some time that could start to increase over the next year or so. That is so much really great information. Obviously, not a, not necessarily ideal for, for members, but really important to know as credit unions and really relevant as we keep an eye on the things that our members need from us right now. And another area that I know you can speak to that's certainly pertinent to credit unions is how some of these sort of current expected credit losses are going to exacerbate maybe the potential looming economic threats. And are there any concerns that you see there? Yeah, so CESOL or current expected credit losses put some interesting challenges into the market in its current form. And I guess I would say that the benefit that we have in the middle of 2022 is the increase of these interest rates, they haven't resulted in substantial additional delinquency and things like that for credit unions. We don't expect that to happen for maybe a year or so in a, in a grander scheme. But with CESOL, we're talking about the life of a loan. If you compare that to the way that the current allowance for loan loss works, you're reserving currently for probable losses, which are generally thought of as losses that'll, have, that'll happen within the next year. There is correlation between increases in interest rates with increases in unemployment and correlation between increases in unemployment, obviously, and increase in delinquency and increasing your charge-offs. But there's a lag in all of those factors. Generally, interest rates start to tick up, unemployment will follow that, and then there will be a further lag before um, delinquency starts to occur, charge-offs, and then foreclosure of the home. So we don't expect these to start to have material impacts on credit unions, let's say, even in the next year. But then once you start to layer in life of loan, the economic impacts that we're seeing right now probably are going to impact losses 
over the life of your loan portfolio. So that's going to impact your loan loss reserves when that goes into effect January 1st, 2023. As that starts to flow into your net worth, that can impact your capital ratio and start to really make planning for taking on continued strategic risks to serve your members more of a challenge than it had been previously. Wow. Well, definitely a lot of sort of economic uncertainty, a lot of things for credit unions to consider. I remember back at the, I think it was the CUNA Finance Council conference that the, a lot of folks there were joking that they'd retire before <laughs> before January 2023, so they didn't have to worry about Cecil. But with all of this uh, economic uncertainty, are there any areas of the loan portfolio that maybe you're optimistic about? You know, I think there's a good bit to be optimistic about. And first off, I would say that even during the Great Recession, credit unions have been uniquely positioned to help borrowers in good times and in bad times. So I think it puts credit unions in a position to continue to grow their relationship with their members and their members' trust in them as a financial institution. So at a high level, I think there's opportunities to continue to cultivate those relationships. But portfolio-specific, you know, we're talking about inflation. We're talking about things that uh, are now costing more and puts borrowers and members in a position where they may need to reach into their wallets for a credit card more frequently than they would have when things were less expensive. So focusing on those credit cards, you know, credit unions have the ability if they haven't since COVID, uh, COVID's onset in 2020, to really take a look or consider taking a look at your members' ability to repay to see, can we get more purchasing power, a higher credit limit in their hands? That's a service that 2020 Analytics uses data to solve. We focus on establishing borrower ability to repay, which is a regulatory requirement, and then looking to see how much more purchasing power can we put in the borrower's hands to potentially bring your credit card to the top of their wallet. Well, I think there are so many great points that you've made already, especially with with some of those credit card opportunities for credit unions. Are there any other maybe big tips that you would give credit unions as they're looking to manage their loan portfolio during a recession, which to your point, we haven't necessarily had this this sort of environment for a while. Yeah. So I think it's a situation where you know credit unions need consistency. They need to keep their pipelines open and continue to serve members and take on strategic risks. So it's not about cutting off lending or making drastic changes to underwriting. It's about making sure that your loan portfolio is well diversified and not concentrated in any particular risk or portfolio segment, continuing to make loans that look good and then monitor those loans as they move more and more towards maturity, as they season, to see how our changes in the economy and changes in your members' risk profiles impacting your net yields and your performance. Those are all tools and processes that you can do using your loan data, but just continuing to monitor and make that case that, hey, we do have the capital to take those strategic risks, to cultivate relationships and add value to your membership. That's what it's all about. It's the same as during you know times of economic prosperity, but you do want to be a little bit more diligent on how you're looking at your portfolio when things start to get more scary like they are uh, with rates where they are. Absolutely. Well, as we look to sort of the future, the place we're in now is a place maybe few people could have necessarily predicted. 
or or maybe there are some folks out there who are like, oh, I knew it was coming. But I'm curious, uh, what are the overall trends that you're seeing for the future of financial services? Things are changing so rapidly. It, it seems like every day there's a new technology. But what are the things that you would say, or is there one thing maybe that 2020 Analytics is really focused on when it comes to innovating for the future? You know, 2020 Analytics specifically, I would say, you know, helping focus on convenience. You know, all of this new technology, it's all predicated around folks, you know, 10 years ago, maybe were skeptical of data and its ability to kind of know what you're thinking. They, they felt like Big Brother was watching you. But now we've evolved into this society where not only is that normal, but we expect and are annoyed if folks aren't predicting what we want and what we need and making that available to us before maybe we even knew we needed it. So focusing on how can we use data to better understand our borrowers and make their lives more convenient, those are the types of things that if I was a financial institution, I'd really be focusing on how can I use my data to make those challenges that our borrowers face seem less challenging. Absolutely. Well, such a good point too. And I think it's been an interesting transition to watch where initially when, you know, the first time I got an email where someone said, hi, Lauren, in the email, and it was personalized, you know, from a big company that knew my first name, that felt weird. But now if I just get a generic email, I'm like, come on, you could have tried a little harder. <laughs> you should know me as a, as a member. <laughs> Well, there's been so much change, so many things for us to talk about as it relates to sort of the economic environment that we're in right now. But I'm going to transition us into our rapid fire section here. We like to use this to let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. For those who listened to your episode last time, we're asking some different questions this time. So new and, uh, new and exciting questions here for you, Dan. The questions are rapid, but your answers don't have to be. So if you're ready, we will dive right in. Yeah, let's go for it. All right. First question, who is someone in your life who you would say was a great leader and what makes them so great? Yeah, so I have three kids. My oldest is 15. I also have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. My younger ones are hopefully evolving into being young leaders here. But my 15-year-old son is a kid who, to me, is... You know, he's the type of kid that, you know, you hope to be a leader for your children, but he's someone that continuously inspires me and his ability to think independently, to persevere. You know, he's big into weightlifting. He's big into, you know, fishing as big, much of a man's man as I am at 36, at 15. Um, and just really is an inspiration in his ability to um, blaze his own path, let's call it. And I mean, it, it, makes me a better person uh, as I continue to grow through my journey. I love that. All right. Well, I uh, have to give him a shout out here in the in the show notes. All right. If you're going to splurge on something, say you want to treat yourself, what is one thing you might spend money on? I'll tell you right now, mine is probably a good cup of coffee. But what is that thing that you might say maybe a guilty pleasure or something you spend money on? I'm going to spend money on experiences. So, you know, I work hard. I like to play hard going out to a hotel and, you know, spend the weekend with the family, things like that. Traveling are all things that I'll splurge on. I'm not a big spender in terms of cars and clothes and things like that. I love that. The experience, the memories. <laughs> mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. Random question for you. What is the musical artist that you are listening to maybe the most so far this year? I don't have a specific artist. I tend to listen to whatever Spotify tells me to listen to, right? I said data predicts what you want. 
and Spotify does a pretty good job at that. If if it's me, it's generally hip hop music. Let's say Drake, if I have to throw one out, but it could be anything depending on what the algorithm says. That is a great point. I really appreciate it. I don't know how many artists, that, probably most of them that I found out just through the algorithm <laughs> on Spotify. Awesome. Good point. All right. What is a book that you are currently reading and would you recommend it? Yeah, I'm honestly not much of a reader when it comes to uh, fiction, but I'm probably reading something either regulatory focused, as nerdy as that sounds, or <laughs> technology focused when it comes to you know learning a new coding language or something like that. So I'm more of a researcher than a reader uh, for, for entertainment. All right. So light reading for all our audience out there, some regulations, I'm sure. <laughs> sure that'll... <laughs> I know nobody's going to go for that, but that's where I'm at. <laughs> I love that. And it ties in well with the the work you do. So it sounds like you found a great career. (laughs) All right. What are maybe one or two of your tips and tricks for creating balance or integration between maybe your work life and your life life? How do you create balance there? Yeah, I like that you use balance or integration because I am much more of a work-life integration type of person. We're client service and when our clients need us, we're there. What I try to do is I try to make sure that when we're not busy, I don't sit at my computer waiting to be busy. So, you know, I work hard when it's time to work hard. And for the the few times during the year that we slow down, I make sure to get away from my computer and do something that I enjoy. Go to the gym, play some tennis, something like that. I love that. Yeah. The integration has been sort of work-life integration is maybe more of an emerging concept, but now I think it, it, tends to be standard when you're talking to folks about, okay, well, sometimes my personal life needs to take priority. Sometimes my work life is taking priority. And it's really about not necessarily just an equal balance all the time, but figuring out how you can create that sort of holistic integration to, to have both. Yeah. I think there's, you know, there's two sides to it. You're either, you know, available during these times and that's how you balance your life or you're available when you're needed. And, you know, you've got to be sure that you're able to cut away when you're not needed. That's the thing is trying to do both, you know, be available, balanced and integrated. It's almost like you can't do both. Yeah, that's a great point. So interesting. All right. Well, Dan, we're going to link to everything we talked about today in the show notes. My last question for you, you know, we, we've talked economy, we've talked interest rates, we've talked Cecil and a little bit of uh, some personal life questions. But do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share or final asks of our listeners today? So I would just say that, you know, a credit union's objective is to maximize the value that you can provide to your membership, whether that be through um, you know low fees, through low rate mortgages or, or loans, and just generally providing necessary financial services. It's, a, it's an exercise in risk management, continuing to monitor that. You want to help your members through every stage of the life cycle. That's something that 2020 analytics can help you track and make sure that you're able to do what you really enjoy doing, which is serving your membership while also you know, maintaining and monitoring your loan portfolio. So um, that's the last thing that I have to say. I know my contact information will be in here, but um, we're happy to help. Absolutely. Well, we're going to, again, like you said, link to contact information for Dan and his team, link to everything that we talked about today. I still appreciate you coming back on the show, Dan, for round two. It's been a lot of fun and, and really informative as well. So thanks so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I'm looking forward to round three. 
Awesome. Us too. We'll stay well. We'll hopefully get to maybe run into each other in person soon. Thanks again to all of our listeners today for tuning into the CU Insight Network podcast. And we'll be back again next time.